0: Welcome to Episode 9 of the Out of Sight Sports Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Crawford, at Crawford Edwards on Twitter, follow him. And we have some very intriguing and thought-provoking topics in the sports world to cover and discuss. We also have a special guest joining us at the end of the show. But anyways, today we are going to talk about the NBA Finals, our thoughts going into the NBA Free Agency, the Hawks, and our Atlanta Braves. Let's dive into the news. First, I want to talk about the NBA Finals. As we know, Book and CP3 are trying to bring the Suns their first championship in franchise history and have looked pretty dominant while doing so, taking a commanding 2-0 lead over the Milwaukee Bucks. The duo, which already has 113 combined points this series so far in their two wins, have surpassed Steph Curry and Clay Thompson's record for the most points by starting backcourt through two games of an NBA Finals over the last 50 seasons. Splash Bros had 106 combined in 2018. CP3, who has never played in the Finals, played like a Finals regular. Paul scored a game-high 32 points in Game One and delivered nine assists as the Suns defeated the Bucks 118 to 105. In Game Two, the backcourt of Paul and Booker combined for 54 points, with Booker having 31. McCall Bridges had a breakout game and playoff career-high 27 points. Not to mention, Ayton has been fantastic. Paul previously labeled Ayton as the Suns' MVP of the postseason, and their victory over the Bucks in Game One Tuesday was another reason why. D.A. finished with the 22-point effort on 8-of-10 shooting with 19 rebounds. Aiton finished Game 2 with a solid double-double performance, recording 10 points and 11 boards to go along with 4 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks. Monte Williams has also been brilliant, and I want to look back at a point in Game 2 that gets overshadowed, but sparked a fire in the big man and may have changed the final outcome. 22, look at me. You've set a high standard for yourself. That's why you're down. That's great. So now reach that next level. You will reach it with force it doesn't have to be stats all the time go dominate the game with force because you've set a high level for yourself go dominate the game with force is what Monty had to say to DeAndre Ayton and following the pep talk Ayton did exactly what his head coach asked of him in the final 741 of the game of game two Ayton compiled two points three rebounds one assist one block and two steals I mean that's exactly what you want man this team has all the ingredients to bring home a championship and if the Bucks don't play well in these next two games, they are getting sent home in five. Book it. Take it to the bank. Anyways, Crawford, what are your takeaways after these two first games? What must the Bucks do to adjust? And ultimately, how do you believe this series will transpire? After such a valiant effort from one of your favorite players, I'm sure you have a lot to say. Well, first,
1: I mean, you got to hand it to Giannis with 42-12 and 12 in that last game, too. Uh, there's been massive improvements since 2019 in that Eastern Conference Finals, where he dropped four games in a row to Kawhi Leonard, and that was when we first saw the wall being built up by Toronto, led by Kawhi, Marcus, All, and Serge Ibaka. That's really tough to get through. Since then, everyone in the NBA has tried to contain him that way, and he's elevated his game and IQ to where he. Re- that really doesn't necessarily work as straightforward as it sounds like it did in the past. But people would definitely be taking more notice if they were actually winning. But Giannis is having one of the greatest finals already, two, two games in. And he's lost both games. And he'd be regarded as an incredible superstar if they were winning. But instead, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, even Cameron Payne, all look incredible right now. And that's just better game planning. Lonnie Williams is the poss- probably the best coach in the NBA right now. We can definitely say that. I don't think so. But that, compared to Coach Bud, he's, he's absolutely ruined his game plans. We know Bud's really bad at adjustments in the playoffs. This year has been his best year making adjustments by far. It's beyond me how he's able to do it. But he did it against us in uh, the Hawks series. And we'll see how it kind of uh, getting back home to Milwaukee. Something tells me that, you know, they've been here before, down 0-2 like they were to the Nets. Anything can happen as long as that team shows up. People around Giannis have to show up. It's too centered around Giannis. Bud makes it that way, thinking, All right, we just need to let Giannis go to work. Well, when the shot's there, take it. That goes to Lopez and Milton and Drew and P.J. Tucker. We don't need to always be getting Giannis the best look possible, and then if he can't get it, okay, well, then bail out a shooter that's open or someone who's cutting.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're going up against a team as well-coached and as well-disciplined as the Suns, that's just not going to work. Those, like, bailout passes and those kickouts last second, like expecting Brook Lopez or Chris Middleton to hit it, like that's just not going to work against a great team like the Suns, and it hasn't worked so far. I mean, look at Middleton. He played 41 minutes, scored 11 points. Look at Holiday. He played 39 minutes, only scored 17. And eh. look at Tucker. He played 40, 34 minutes and he scored seven. And Brooke Lopez, Splash Mountain, played 27 minutes and scored eight points. So, And he also has to quit shooting so much because he's a good shooter. And, like, I get shooting and, like, keeping the hot hand going. But, like, when you're in the NBA Finals against a team that makes their shots, like the Suns, when he's not hitting, he does not need to be taking three-pointers, even if he's open, because he's not going to hit them. He's a seven-footer
1: squash mountain is closed that ride does not exist anymore he had a lot of three-pointers i think in the 2019 season uh setting a record for seven footers which doesn't make any sense to me i guess dirk and katie and all of them mary bird well they didn't shoot uh, many three-pointers back then but it must all been under seven feet because i don't know how brooke lopez was that record
0: yeah i don't really know either that doesn't make much sense but um we just need to look into that. But anyways, the Milwaukee Bucks, with Giannis in the finals, they're plus four in 75 minutes that he's played. and the, But they're minus 27 in the 21 minutes that he sat. And Giannis DeCupo is the first player to score 42 points or more on 22 field goal attempts or less in the NBA finals since George McCon in 1949. That was in game two. All right, so to wrap up this segment, um, is there anything you have to say, Crawford?
1: Seeing how Giannis is playing down the stretch of these games, and the Bucks defense has really kept them close in these all these games, but defense is not going to beat an offense like the Suns, where they're uh, offensively focused more so than the Bucks are. I mean, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, Giannis Middleton—they can all play great defense. They're long, fast. Uh, Drew all defensive, but and he's shooting horrible. That Giannis is not getting efficient help around him. Even when the three-pointers are falling versus when they're not, 29% versus 44%, games one, game two, they're still not winning. So yeah, I'm really especially disappointed in Drew Holiday. I'm not sure he's a good point guard for that team, actually. I can see him more of as a combo guard, but he expends so much effort on defense. But I'm not sure he's a good four-general. Uh, bringing it up the court every time. Connaughton and DiVincenzo unfortunately is out. Connaughton is not going to be a good ball handler with Drew Holiday, neither is Jetty. So they definitely need to find some better uh, ball handling. Maybe trade uh, DiVincenzo for some better uh, passing point guards. Uh, on the bench, but otherwise, looking at the Suns, it's really the Chris Paul, Aiden, and Booker show uh, with the hype that's going on around them. I would really stress, though, with Booker. Uh, he's the most talented young superstar. You know, by young, I mean like under 25 um, right now. But I don't like this Kobe comparison at all. First of all, Kobe made nine defensive all. All defensive teams in his twenty-year career, seven of which were first team. And Devin Booker, will, he can get there, but he's you know most young players don't have that same mentality that Kobe had uh, on both sides of the floor, just to win, but no emotions get in the way except you know to beat your opponent. Um, him being told to be legendary by Kobe clearly had. Huge impact on his mentality, and I don't think he'd be the same player
0: without those two words. I honestly think if you told him, like to his face, I mean, I don't know, but like if you said, like, you're like Kobe, he I don't know if he would necessarily even like that because, like, how good Kobe actually was. I don't know if people really necessarily remember it, even though it wasn't necessarily that long ago. But no, like,
1: people have flash memories,
0: he has. He has to win at least two back-to-back, the next two back-to-back, to to at least be in that conversation, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. The team he's got, like, John Rayton can be a modern Shaq, and he can be a modern Kobe. And then having Chris Paul never hurts, no matter how old he is.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the Suns' win percentage, how much it went up and how many more wins they had once they acquired the floor general, Chris Paul – I mean, it's just unbelievable the rise they made. I think they're one of eight teams in the modern era to not make the playoffs and then go to the finals. So um, you just got to give a lot of credit to Chris Paul also coming in there to a new system and just making it work immediately. It just It's really yeah, a testament to how good he is. And um, Chris Paul has never went to a team, and then their winning percentage just went down yeah, like, exactly in his entire career. Saying. Speaking of Chris Paul, um, since we're about to wrap up this NBA Finals segment – how do you feel about this um, reputation that he has from fans that he's a dirty player?
1: Well, it all stems from his, you know, face and likeness, because he's not only the NBPA president, he's a Farm. He's the face of the State Farm commercials, and he's just this, you know, very clean-cut, non-aggressive, harmless-looking guy on TV. But in the game, he does some things that a lot of people think are dirty. I think that's him using the game to his advantage, the rules of the game. I think he takes it a little too far, especially some tripping or whether he intends to do that or not. He just takes it as it is and says, whatever it takes to win, let's do it. So I got no problem with Chris Paul. I got immense respect for him. Uh, Since a lot of the hate comes from the Russell Westbrook group that – uh, stands him so hard. Uh, the Russell Westbrook Chris Paul debate is really heated always. And with Chris having all the success, people aren't happy, people don't like to see people succeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you could have said it any better, but um, yeah, I don't really have an opinion on that. I honestly like Chris Paul, and but yeah. So, what is your prediction for the outcome of these NBA Finals?
1: Well, if we can get full 42 point and 12 rebound Giannis and help from his teammates, like they're supposed to step up, like they did against the Hawks when he was out for two games, uh, his teammates really stepped up. And if we can see that team and Giannis at full force, then I absolutely believe they can win in seven. That's what my heart wants to see happen. Because I've been waiting a long time for Giannis to do this, but Chris Paul has been waiting even longer. So my mind says sons and six. It said sons and five before the series even started, but I really have to believe that these teammates have to step up. They know that because it's winter go home.
0: I don't know, man. Um,. My prediction has definitely changed for sure because like after I saw after I was at game 6 and I saw the way that they were able to play without Giannis I thought that they were going to be very scary if he even touched the court but obviously we've seen a completely different result. I was thinking Suns in maybe 6 or 7 at that point but now I'm thinking that the Bucks are only going to win one home game and the Suns are going to close it out in 5. So, that's my prediction.
1: That's a sound prediction. But I just wanted to take the more unpopular route, I guess. The feel-good
0: Off- route. The feel-good route for you since you like Giannis.
1: That's exactly what it is. I just wouldn't want to say it any other way. Plus, they beat our Hawks. And in, in those games that they won against the Hawks, it wasn't just that the teammates stepped up. It's that their defense was so disruptive to the offense. Because we are such a young team. The Suns aren't necessarily, they got young players, but they're led by Chris Paul. So it's definitely an uphill battle for the Bucks, but they've had an uphill battle since the Nets, that's for sure.
0: Alright, our next topic is pretty interesting as well. So um, people around the NBA are anticipating that the Pelicans are going to try to trade their number 10 pick for some veteran support. What do you think about that, Crawford?
1: Sounds great to me. Someone's got to babysit Zion and Brandon Ingram. I'm just kidding. But, yeah, they definitely need some veteran uh, leadership on that team. They really are one of the youngest teams. And Stan Langone was a terrible coach for them because, you know, he's just an old, older-style kind of coach that didn't really click with the younger squad that he had. And they're all very talented. Managing egos is probably the most important thing. Uh, as a coach to do in the NBA is to know how to speak to your players so that they hear you and respect
0: that yeah um, I think especially after they traded J.J. Reddick and reports came out that um, that did not make Zion happy as we both know they both played at Duke obviously at different times but J.J. Reddick was a Duke legend Zion is Zion so obviously there was some kind of connection there but, but they're the, um, two
1: very different players in terms of being liked and being hated.
0: Yeah, exactly. They could have been
1: more opposite.
0: But um, apparently they were really close, and obviously we all know that JJ Redick didn't have the best like exit when it comes to leaving the Pelicans. Um, it, he's it was not kind of rough.
1: We right got upset about that. That's who he is, anyway. I don't think that was a good trade. I don't know why you would just give up a sharpshooter off the bench like that. Um, but I don't think he's very helpful for the team, especially in leadership. Him being one of the oldest, or the oldest player, I think, on the Pelicans is not the kind of example that, you know, someone like Chris Paul can set and playmate, set up teammates and all that. Um, it's really the David Griffin show right now. I wonder if he's playing chess secretly or quietly with all these moves to get someone big. But they definitely need a Chris Paul.
0: Yeah, they um, they definitely need some kind of veteran support because, I mean, all the youth is there. But the thing about J.J. Redick was, I don't think it was t- until he was with the Pelicans that he missed the playoffs. So he had a ton of experience. And it doesn't matter how young and how good you are, you have to have playoff experience on your roster. It is a must. Like, for example, look at Jared Dudley and the Lakers. Like, he doesn't even see the floor and – they love him in that locker room. And they said that they probably wouldn't have won a championship without his leadership. And, I mean, it's it's Jared Dudley. I mean, he's been in the league forever, and um, it's just pretty random. But, like, that's really how, that's, that's an example of how big of a deal it can be to have an older guy like that or older guys. You don't necessarily want to have one, like you were saying earlier before the show, but, yeah, so.
1: Yeah, I love Jared Dudley. He's a very lovable guy. You definitely bring spirit and emotion, and that's what you want to put in young players is to make the game fun. Like, yeah, it's your job. It, it, when you're playing the game as a game and it's fun, that's when you at your best.
0: Yeah, those are all some very solid points. But anyways, we're going to get to our next point and um, rumor, and that it's the 76ers GM Elton Brandon, Wolves President Gerson Rosas met during the combine to discuss a trade involving Ben Simmons. Crawford, after that disappointing loss that they had to the Hawks, um, obviously they're calling it an upset, but to me, I think that we just beat them. But anyways, obviously after another second-round exit, do you think it's a good idea to move on from Ben Simmons already?
1: We've been questioning that for years. How is that going to work with Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid being center and then post master. And then Ben Simmons is often in the darker spot or driving and slashing to the basket. That's just going to occupy too much of the same space. We all know they need more shooting, and, but you're not going to find a Ben Simmons growing on trees. So whatever they get back, it's really got to help complete what Ben Simmons is and is not for the team in terms of shooting that he doesn't provide, but also the passing and playmaking that he does provide. And, of course, they have to be able to play defense. So if you can find some players that help you fill out the bench, that would be big for them.
0: Yeah, I think in today's modern NBA, you know, like given how important the three ball has become, I just don't think you're going to win a championship when your point guard can't shoot a three-pointer, like to save his life. He just he, And he can't shoot mid-range either. He just can't shoot. His jump shot is broken. And, I mean, I don't know if it's a mental problem. or if Oh, he, it's
1: got to be a mental. He refuses to do it at all because he's afraid of missing.
0: Yeah, because in the last episode we were talking about how he didn't even take a last shot. He didn't even take a shot in the last quarter of games four yeah. through seven. So, in the second round. Yeah. That's not a good look. But he missed
1: every shot that he did. He always believes that there's a better shot and closer to the basket, and that's just the wrong mentality to have as a player, no matter who you are in the modern NBA, you have to shoot.
0: Yeah, I mean, you want to have the mentality to attack, obviously, like, you want to be an attack first player, but if it's not there, you can't just keep resorting to it, because it's going to result in um, mistakes, and... Given they have an MVP caliber big man in Joel Embiid who could have won it if he didn't hurt his back earlier this year, honestly, in my opinion, I just think they really do need to make a move because this is their window. I mean, I thought they yep. were going to win the East, honestly, like before the year started. I mean, well, people have been making they that. were looking been very promising. The for many years. They were looking very promising. And, I mean, we were talking about how their bench seemed to look pretty deep coming into the season, but – They just didn't show up in the playoffs against us. All right, so um, where do you think he could possibly end up, and what are some good places for him?
1: Well, with trades, it's really impossible to figure that out, at least from my eyes. But I have heard some things from the Timberwolves wanting to trade DeAndre Russell for Ben Simmons. Um, That might work out, but I just feel like the Sixers – when people trade uh, franchise players like that they want to send them off to a good place where they can succeed but they don't necessarily have to compete with them as much but you don't want to just ship them off to you know the worst franchise in the NBA by record that being Minnesota so there's a lot of places you can end up because you can play uh, basically one through four on offense and you can guard one through
0: five. Yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting to see where Ben Simmons ends up this offseason if they do decide to move him. All right, to wrap up episode nine of the Out of Sight Sports Podcast, we're going to talk about the current state of our Atlanta Braves as a special friend and guest. Reynolds Hawk will be joining us for the show. How you been doing, man? Pretty good. Just had to crack open crack this one open before we
2: – before we
0: got started. Absolutely. I feel that, man. I got one next to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our Braves were able to reach 500 for the first time this season as they took down the Miami Marlins in the second game mm-hmm. of this series for the second time, 5-4 um, to four today. But um, I thought things were starting to look up, honestly. But, you know, after Acuna going down, I mean, it's just awful to see somebody so talented, the face of our franchise, especially when we're finally able to reach 500. It feels like this team's allergic to being 500. It's just going to be very interesting to see how this team approaches this and how Snitker approaches this and how we're just able to win games from this point because it was already hard enough. But actually, right before we... um, We're going to drop this podcast. We've found out the unfortunate news that Ronald Acuna Jr. has torn his ACL and will be out for the rest of the season as he will undergo surgery tomorrow morning. But um, in the wake of that terrible news, um, Reynolds, how do you think the Braves can possibly win games already being, you know, already having absences that we did and already having the issues that we did? Like, how do you think the Braves can recover in his absence, and how do you think we can possibly maintain, or win, if we even can, and get ourselves back into the hunt, if that's possible? Like, do you think that's possible? Like- yeah, I mean, I,
2: I mean, unfortunately, the answer is that I, I don't know how the Braves are going to be able to, to stay in the NL East race with with the absence of Acuna. Um, I mean, what is our outfield going to look like moving forward? I mean, we're going to, I guess we're going to keep Ender, Enciarte in center field and Heredia in right. And I don't know what Snicker's plan is in, in left field. I mean, we've, he seems to, he seems to have taken a liking to Abraham Almonte, um, uh, Orlando Arcia has, has 16 at bats for the Braves. At, you know, a very limited sample size has you know, home runs, six RBIs, in, you know, just five games. I mean, I think you know, especially with Acuna's absence, with, with with nothing to lose. I mean, why not see what this guy can do? So you know, I mean, but, you know, there's not a lot the Braves can do. Um, we we just kind of have to do the best we can. Um, replace the you know or do something about the, the very obvious issue in you know, relief pitching and and you know, try to try to finish the season as strongly as we can and you know we we we, we need to rehab Acuña you know, as is the best we can and you know try to you know get him ready for next season and try to look ahead unfortunately I think it, it's time to look ahead given this news I mean yeah it's one player but this is one hell of a player you know, so it sucks, but it's just the unfortunate reality. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we. Guillermo Heredia has has been a. He, he's great been, for us. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been a a relatively steady piece for for us. I mean, he has 179 at bats, and he's. I mean, I think he's batting. Above, he's batting 263.
0: So, I think he's career 247, I believe.
2: Some somewhere Maybe. around that. I mean, I think he's two, so, I see 243. Okay. Exactly. Uh, 243 for his game average. you you were close. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's stepped up and been a been a pretty good piece for us. The only question is like if I mean, uh, Guillermo Heredia and Ronald Acuña win healthy, obviously that is our outfield. But I mean, what, uh, what are we going to do about you know our, our other outfielder? And we 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 we've, we've taken a liking to Abraham Almonte. Uh, that that I mean, Abraham Almonte. That, that that's who Snicker has decided to, to snart to <laughs> to snart to start <laughs> a lot a lot of you know a lot of outings. But you know I you know with recently with you know since we recalled Orlando Arcia up to. Up to the majors, I mean, he. I know I saw yesterday before this before this uh, Marlins game today. He had a home run, six RBIs, and sixteen at bats, five games. Like, I mean, what what have we got to lose? I mean, why not? Why not see what this guy? Why not see what this guy can do?
0: I agree. You had some very very valid points and all of that. It was obviously great to have your analysis. Thank you for joining the show today.
2: Yeah, dude. I mean, thanks for having me on. If you, if you ever want to talk. Braves
0: baseball, I'm 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 always here. Absolutely, um, we're definitely going to do this soon. Maybe even next week. I don't know. We'll definitely stay in touch. You know, I'll be I'll be around. I'll be in Macon. But to everybody who listened to episode nine of the Out of Sight Sports Podcast, thank you for tuning in, and I will talk to you guys next week.